The Guardian. Uh, questions to the Prime Minister, Callum Mahmood. Mr Speaker, before listing my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in sending our profound condolences to the family and friends of the two servicemen killed in Afghanistan yesterday. They will remain always in our thoughts, and we owe them a deep debt of gratitude for the sacrifice. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings and discussions with ministerial colleagues, including the House will want to know to bring forward next week immediate legislation to enable the courts to grant anonymity to witnesses for cases such as those involving organised crime and witness intimidation, and I hope and believe we can do this with all party support. In addition to my duties here in this House, I shall have further such meetings with ministers later today. Thank you, thank you, sir. I echo my honourable friend's, uh, right honourable friend's words on the gratitude that we all, 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 all of the servicemen who have lost their lives uh, in, in defending the values that we all, 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 all cherish. What action will, will, will the Prime Minister take to encourage the African nations to help to, to help resolve the uh, to, to, to resolve the, uh, current, the current crisis in Zimbabwe? Mr Speaker, following uh, the United Nations Security Council resolution that was promoted by the United Kingdom that conditions are not free for fair elections in Zimbabwe, we will stand alongside African leaders who do not accept the legitimacy of the election and who do not accept the legitimacy of the regime and the criminal cabal surrounding President Mugabe. I understand that SADC will meet today, the African Union will meet on Sunday. It is our hope that the UN and the African Union can work together for a peaceful transition in Zimbabwe, and we are ready to commit substantial resources to Zimbabwe once democracy returns. I can also confirm we are preparing intensified sanctions, financial and travel sanctions, against named members of the Mugabe regime. And I can also announce that the Secretary for Culture is working with the English Cricket Board. We want to ensure Zimbabwe does not tour England next year. And we will call for other countries to join us in banning Zimbabwe from the 2020 international tournament. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to the two soldiers from the Parachute Regiment who were killed in Afghanistan yesterday? They're doing an incredibly difficult job in incredibly tough circumstances, and they have our full support. Let me ask some further questions, if I may, about Zimbabwe, because I believe, as I believe the Prime Minister does, there is a real opportunity for Britain to take the initiative. There's universal anger at the stolen election, universal support for the Leader of the Opposition pulling out of the race, condemnation from the UN Security Council, and, for a change, strong words from Zimbabwe's neighbours. Can I ask the Prime Minister about three specific actions? First, for the forthcoming G8, which President Mbeki will attend, Will the Prime Minister push for a declaration that all states present will cease to prop up the regime and will refuse to recognise its legitimacy? Well, I think you'll have noticed that the United Nations passed a, a very strong presidential statement uh, on, uh, on Monday. South Africa was very much part of that statement. It made it clear that the elections could not take place under present circumstances and it called for an end to violence. I, of course, will raise this matter in every international forum. I raised it in the European Union at the Council last uh, Thursday and Friday, and there was a very strong statement from the European Union. I have uh, talked to other members of the G8, including President Bush, about the situation. I believe that, I believe 
I believe that the hope, the hope that exists for a peaceful outcome of the problems that we are now facing lies in the fact that, as he has indicated, so many African leaders, the governments of Zambia, Botswana, Tanzania, Angola, Senegal, Kenya, and the South African National Congress have made it absolutely clear that they cannot support uh, the current regime and they want the full civil and political rights of the Zimbabwean people restored. Now, I want us to work with the African Union and the United Nations. I believe it would be best if a joint delegation went to Zimbabwe. What we want to achieve is a peaceful transition, promise of support for a new regime, and an end to the violence that has caused so many deaths. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We support, I support very much what the Prime Minister has said. We too welcome the UN statement, and I also welcome what he said about the sporting sanctions in answer to his honourable friend. Can I ask him to clarify one point that arose from our discussions on Monday? The Prime Minister said he would no longer recognise the legitimacy of the Mugabe regime. Can I ask him a bit more about what that means? Because the Foreign Secretary said on Monday that when it comes to summits, and I quote, it's not possible to ban Mugabe from attending until he's no longer the President of Zimbabwe. So when the Prime Minister says he doesn't recognise the legitimacy of the regime, what does he actually mean? What will the practical consequences be? As he probably knows, we're, we're bound by international laws in the question of the regime, but we do not recognise the legitimacy of the government. We do not believe that uh, Mugabe has honoured the results of the previous election, and we do not believe that current elections can be free and fair. And we want to see a peaceful transition as soon as possible. And if we look back at the elections that did take place, then it was clear that Mugabe lost these elections, Changarai was ahead, and it's also clear that the parliament in Zimbabwe has a majority against Mugabe. Now, what we want to achieve, and that's why what has been said by African leaders in the last few days is so important. For the first time, many of them have condemned both the regime and the behaviour of Mugabe. What we want to work for is that peaceful transition. I believe the statements made by the General Secretary of the United, Secretary General of the United Nations calling for an end to violence, offering his help in that, and the strong statements from President Kikwete of Tanzania uh, are the best uh, uh, symbol of the way forward, which is the UN and the African Union working together for a change of regime. Chairman. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister mentioned the EU sanctions. Can he absolutely confirm that when it comes to drawing up those tighter EU sanctions, our government will be specifically proposing a full visa ban for Mugabe, his officials, their families and associates, and financial measures that must include a full assets freeze on institutions complicit in the regime and a ban on their transactions. And does he agree with me that this is not just an issue for governments? Businesses and individuals who have any dealings with Zimbabwe must examine their own responsibilities and must not make investments that prop up the regime. Yeah. Well, he, he may also know that 160 individuals uh, are under uh, bans and sanctions as a result of uh, decisions already taken. What we are now looking at is extending these bans to members, as he suggested, of the families of these people, uh, that these bans will include financial sanctions but also travel uh, sanctions. Uh, we do know the names of the individuals who are surrounding Mugabe at the moment. We know the names, therefore, of the criminal cabal that is trying to keep him in power, and we will name these individuals, and these will be part of the next stage of the sanctions. I agree with him also that businesses should look at their involvement in Zimbabwe. We have taken a, 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 a decision that we will uh, force through sanctions against the individuals that are part of the regime. We do not want to do further damage to the Zimbabwean people. But of course, where businesses are helping the Zimbabwean regime, they should reconsider their position now. I believe that the whole world has woken up to the evils that have been going on in Zimbabwe. 
I believe that the whole international community, with a few exceptions, is now united in calling for action. But what we want to see is an end to the violence and a peaceful transition in Zimbabwe, and that's why the efforts of the African Union and the United Nations are so important. And we will support them in their efforts and offer the Zimbabwe people help with reconstruction once democracy is restored. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. On the Today programme yesterday, it was argued that speculators are responsible for the doubling of the price of oil. Whilst the US Congress has been examining this situation and working very hard at limiting the damage being done by the speculators, who, by the way, control over 71% of the futures market, these people will move to London, which they argue in the Congress is more lax. What is the government doing to protect the poor people who are having to pay the high prices at the petrol pumps? Yeah. I'm grateful to my honourable friend. This, this is a huge issue because oil prices have trebled over the last uh, two years, and they have risen very substantially in the last, uh, in the last few months. Uh, I was uh, in Jeddah and met all the oil producers to talk about these matters. The first thing we know is the American Congress is looking at this matter. The Financial Services Authority is looking at any evidence of market manipulation. The Treasury is looking at what uh, financial speculation may have taken place in the, mar in the marketplace. If there is any evidence of this, uh, we will act. And we will also work with the rest of the European Union who are looking at this issue as well. But I have to tell my honourable friend, there is another issue here. Demand for oil in the world exceeds the supply of oil. And it will exceed the supply of oil for years to come. And that is why we are making bold decisions that I would hope we'd have all party support for. First of all, first of all to, have, to have energy independence through having nuclear power in this country. And while we have made the decision, the opposition has ducked it. I'd like to add my own expressions of sympathy and condolence to the uh, family and friends of the two soldiers who lo uh, tragically lost their lives in Afghanistan yesterday. Uh, Mr Speaker, before he became Prime Minister, I think some people thought he was a, a man of principle. But over the, past, over the past 12 months, time and time again, we have seen him abandon what he knows to be right for what he thinks is expedient. Now this afternoon, he's got the chance to do the right thing when veterans from the Gurkhas march on number 10 to hand in their medals in protest at the way they've been treated by this government. I've asked him four times to receive these medals and every time he has refused. Will he now have the grace today to receive them or will he turn them away yet again? Mr Speaker, I do thank him for raising the question of the Gurkhas because it allows us to explain what has actually been done. Now, we respect the fact that Gurkhas have fought for the United Kingdom for two centuries. They've served in conflicts throughout the world. We greatly value the contribution that they make, both past and present, and we know that they are operating in Iraq and continue to serve with great distinction in Afghanistan. And the government has improved the way that we are treating the Gurkhas. Serving Gurkhas and some recently retired Gurkhas, for the first time, have membership of the Armed Forces Pension Scheme. They have a genuinely improved deal for them, and 2,232 retired Gurkhas who were serving on the 1st of July 1997 or later have also been offered these arrangements. Now, there are other things that we are doing, 
and that includes equality of take-home pay with the British Army, the creation of national insurance records, changing the immigration rules to help retired Gurkhas, married accompanying service after three years in the brigade, opportunity to transfer to one of the two armed forces pension schemes. All these things we have done. He cannot say we have been active. We are trying to honour our obligations to people who have served the country well. From the Prime Minister, which misses the important issue. On Friday, it's Veterans Day, a day when we celebrate the courage of those who risk their lives for our country. The Prime Minister says he values courage above all else. So, why won't he do the real thing that would help some of the most courageous veterans of all? Outside, right now, there are, there are uh, veterans of the Gurkhas protesting who, are, who have to rely on charity, who face deportation because his government won't grant them British citizenship. When will he act to correct this gross injustice and give those brave veterans the recognition and citizenship they deserve? Mr. Speaker, I've just told him that the immigration rules were changed in 2004 to include post-1997 retired Gurkhas. The opportunity is now there to transfer to the wider army after five years. There are increased opportunities for them after leaving the army. There are opportunities to obtain settlement and naturalisation, that is citizenship, while serving in the wider army. And we are given the pensions that I've just identified to him. He cannot say we have done nothing to help the Gurkhas. We have showed how we value the Gurkhas in this country. Mr Speaker, child poverty was a matter of national shame when the Conservative Government were in power. And, and my right hon. Friend deserves enormous, enormous credit for the 600,000 children whose families have been taken out of poverty. But can he tell the House, now that we face difficult economic times, will he give a, a recommitment to the eradication of child poverty by 2020? Because frankly, if this Government and this Prime Minister won't give that, no other party in this House will make that same offer. Now, the only party that has and is making this uh, commitment, and I ask the other parties to join us in this commitment even now. When we came into power, three and a half million children were in poverty. Absolute poverty in this country has fallen so that the figure is 1.7 million and we have a long way to go. Relative poverty has fallen by 600,000 and even in difficult economic circumstances, the Chancellor announced in the pre-budget report and the budget that 300,000 more children will be taken out of poverty. We have doubled child benefit. The child tax credit was £27 for the poorest child when we came into power. It is now over £70. We have done what the previous Conservative government failed to do. We are tackling child poverty. Speaker, Britain is currently facing a wave of potential strikes threatened, among others, by housing benefit staff, social workers, teaching assistants and refuse collectors. With this in mind, will the Prime Minister rule out categorically any further changes that would weaken in any way the trade union laws introduced by past Conservative governments? Mr Speaker, we, 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 have, no, uh, we have no plans to change employment laws uh, further. But let me, say to him, let me say to him, it would be better if he would support us when we are trying to negotiate three-year pay deals with the public sector. We have negotiated them for teachers and for nurses and for health service workers and for civil servants and they are now in the Department of Work and Pensions and in the Inland Revenue. So two million people are covered by public sector pay deals. Now the Shadow Chancellor said on Newsnight last week, I'm not against opening negotiated pay deals. And then a few hours later he had to clarify the statement saying, I, I am against reopening public sector pay deals. 
Now, perhaps he can tell us what is the position of the Conservative Party supporting stability in the economy. The whole House will have heard the Prime Minister. The whole House will have heard the Prime Minister saying he has no plans to change trade union laws. This is the same Chancellor who said he had no plans to introduce taxes and then introduce the extra taxes. If he genuinely, if, if he genuinely has no plans, if he, if he genuinely has no plans to introduce new trade union laws, can he explain why he's going ahead with the Warwick 2 process where trade unions and government ministers will sit down and discuss policies including the laws governing industrial action? Of course we're going to discuss policies with every section of the community. That is, that, is surely, that is surely what politics is about. I thought he was quite anxious to talk to the TUC as well. But, 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 but I come back to this point. Is the Conservative Party supporting our three-year public sector pay deals? They are unique. They are a barrier against inflation. They give us stability for the future. They are a signal to the rest of the public sector and to the private sector. Now, the Conservatives, just as on the 22 million people benefiting from a low tax rate with the personal allowances coming down, are silent. They are silent on this. They should tell us whether they support economic stability, low inflation and low interest rates, which is what this will help achieve. Do you know what? If you want to ask us questions, you've had a year in office, why not call an election? You said you, you needed more time to set out your vision. I think we've had a year. Why not bring on the election? Is the Prime Minister really telling us that his ministers are going to sit down with the people who provide 92% of the governing party's income and there'll be no mention of trade union laws? Isn't it the case that trade union leaders look at this Prime Minister and just see weakness? Tony Blair, Tony Blair, Tony Blair said... I have not created new Labour to see a Labour government give away power to the unions. You cannot go back, he said, to the situation where 90% of the funding is provided by the trade unions. Isn't that exactly what's happened? We've got a bankrupt Labour Party, it's in hot to the unions, and we've got a wave of strikes threatened. As he lurches to the left, shouldn't we all conclude that new Labour is dead and buried? The same old Tory party. They can't even talk to the trade union. Let, let me say, we have made the big decisions in the last year about the future of the country. Nuclear power, we decided, they ducked it. Airport expansion, we're deciding, they ducked it. Three million houses, we're deciding, they've ducked it. And on planning today, we're deciding, and once again, they're duck, ducking it. Now, Mr Speaker, his year started with the indecision of our grammar schools and has ended with him losing his shadow home secretary. And for him, politics is just show business. It's devoid of substance. It's opposition for opposition's sake. You can get by without substance some of the time. You can't get by without substance all of the time. Mr Speaker, this Saturday, over 100 representatives of voluntary organisations and other organisations in my constituency will be getting together with the police, with the City Council, the Fire Service and other statutory agencies to work out how we can best work together to combat crime. Now I think all of us in this House know 
that one of the things that often inhibits people from reporting crimes or standing up against antisocial behaviour is fear of reprisal or fear of intimidation. My right honourable friend said a few moments ago there are plans in relation to witness anonymity. I wonder if you could say a bit more about that and how we can best reassure people that where they stand up for their local communities, that we will back them. He's absolutely right that the policies that we are proposing uh, mean punishment and prevention for crime. And it's quite wrong to deprive, witness, to deprive witnesses of anonymity when it is needed, especially when we're dealing with organised crime witness intimidation and gang and gun related crime and that is why the uh, Minister for Justice will announce tomorrow that we will bring forward legislation to clarify the situation arising from the court's judgment and we want to make sure that there is a right for the courts to offer anonymity as the police and so many people have asked for in the last uh, few days and we will continue and I hope you can tell the seminar on Saturday this we will continue with our policies to ensure that the public are properly protected against crime and I do hope the Conservative Party will reconsider their former Shadow Home Secretary's opposition to DNA and to CCTV and their opposition to what we are doing to make the country safe from terrorism. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I, on behalf of the Democratic Unionist Party, add our sympathies to the family and friends of the two very brave servicemen who lost their lives? Did the Prime Minister see reports this week suggesting the government was going to legalise the IRA? Will he confirm that the government's intention is not to make the IRA legal, but to make it completely redundant by removing its army council? Mr. Mr. Speaker, I, I hear what she says, and I think she's referring to the report that was done by Lord Carlyle. Uh, we have no uh, plans uh, to do that at all. Uh, we, we, be we believe that um, the provincial, uh, army provisional army council should be brought to an end as soon as possible and we will work with all parties in Northern Ireland so that we can maintain the stability of the settlement and I praise her party and the other parties uh, that have been involved in making the settlement work. Thank you Mr Speaker. Will my right honourable friend the Prime Minister, can I thank him in the setting up of a border police service that's going to protect our borders but would he add to that, would he add to that a very important segment which could be our troops that have been seriously injured, that may not be suitable for frontline service, but want to continue to wear a uniform, and they, they ought to be added to the police force in protecting our borders from terrorism, drug running, and illegal immigration. We've already set up the border agency, which is 25,000 strong. Uh, what he's referring to is a proposal from ACPO, which the government is happy to consider. The Home Secretary said that at the beginning of the week. The Policing Green Paper, to be published shortly, will look at a number of proposals for policing at the border, including that from ACPO, but will also include other proposals uh, which may not involve structural change. I, I, be I believe uh, that uh, we have got to have the strongest possible protection at our borders, and that we will do. But I hope, again, the Conservative Party will reconsider their opposition to identity, identity cards for people coming into this country, because that is one way we can protect against illegal immigration. Mr Speaker, both our parties voted to support uh, education uh, to 18. For East Devon, that will mean having to find approximately 450 extra places by 2015. The only obvious site in Exmouth is the recently vacated Owen Building on the Royal College campus site. Whilst the Minister for the South West is broadly supportive of the idea that that should continue for education. The Minister for Higher Education 
is of the belief that it should be sold uh, to the highest bidder. In the interest of joined-up government, and if the Prime Minister is genuinely in listening mode, will he meet a cross-party delegation from East Devon to break this logjam? Yeah, yeah. I shall certainly uh, look at the proposals that he's putting forward. Can I just tell him that in his uh, local authority area there have been two new schools, 19 schools rebuilt, 390 additional classrooms, funding for pupils has risen substantially, there are 600 more teachers and 1,800 more teaching assistants. Now that is a Labour government working. It couldn't have happened if we'd accepted the advice of the Conservative Party not to spend more on education. Thank you, sir. Uh, when the Labour Mayor introduced free bus travel for children and young Londoners, this was warmly welcomed, especially by low-income families. And whilst it makes sense to require young people to carry identification to help tackle bad behaviour, uh, does my honourable friend know that young people are now, because of delays in processing this identity card system, that are being turned away in increasing numbers from, uh, from buses? And young people are, and low-income families are being fined uh, for, uh, 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 for, for being on buses without uh, identification. Will he use his good offices with the Mayor of London to ensure that this mess is sorted out and that uh, a good policy does not turn sour because of bad administration? Well, I, I want uh, every uh, child to benefit from the free uh, bus pass that was set up by the previous Mayor, and I think the whole of London is grateful for that. Uh, but uh, I, I'm, denied the chance to, I'm denied the chance to raise it with the Mayor now that he has vacated his seat in this House, but I can tell him that the, tra I can tell him that the Transport Secretary will be in touch with him very soon. Norman Baker. Uh, the, pri the Prime Minister, as a, a Scottish MP, will have noticed the strong success of the recently really opened railway line between Stirling and Alloa, where passenger numbers are now running three times beyond the projected figure for 2011, and a similar success story applies to the reopened line in to Everwell in Wales. Why is it the case that uh, reopening lines in Scotland and Wales make such good economic sense, but reopening lines in England, apparently, the Department for Transport rules out, despite the strong social and environmental case, are for lines like Lewis Duckfield? Well, we said last year that we wanted to double the capacity of the existing network, and that includes the whole of the United Kingdom. And we've invited Network Rail to examine options for supporting further growth, which might include new lines and electrification. So I think he will find that Network Rail and the Government are looking at these issues, but I hope he'll also acknowledge that we've committed £10 billion to increase capacity over the next five years. There's going to be the single biggest increase in capacity for a generation. There will be 1,300 new carriages, and it will fund major projects in all parts of the country. We are honouring our commitment to the railways of this country, and that's why more people are using the railways than at any time since the 1940s. Stephen Pound. <laughs> next, next week, the nation will celebrate the 60th birthday of a much-loved national institution. <laughs> May I, as an imminent sexagenarian, <laughs> ask my young friend, the Prime Minister, what action he is taking to ensure that we don't just have a better national health service, but the best national health service. Mr Speaker, we are very proud of our national health service and we want to make it better in the years to come. That's why we want more access to GP services and that's why we've got a new contract with the GPs. That's why we've been building more hospitals and are determined uh, to deal with the problems of cleanliness in hospitals. That's why we're employing more doctors and nurses. And that's why we're investing 15 billion over the next 10 years 
in cures for cancer and other diseases so that Britain can and will remain a world leader. We introduced the National Health Service in 1948. I hope other parties who didn't support us then will support us in the future. The Prime Minister's script had references to ducking, so perhaps he'd like to support the Birdman competition off Worthing Pier in the first weekend in July. If, if he can't do that, if he can't do that, could he consider meeting the operators of seaside arcades who are not going to benefit by the decision today to give help to the bingo halls? Many of these gentle gaming machine operators are suffering greatly, while the government appears to increase serious gambling by deliberate decision. I'm grateful to him. He may know I met a delegation of some members of Parliament from Seaside Towns last week. I'll be happy to meet a representative of Seaside Towns. We are determined to bring greater economic prosperity to the seaside towns and resorts of our country, of which we are very proud. On the specific question, he'll be pleased to know that the Minister of Sport is announcing today the Government contends to consult on whether bingo halls should be permitted to offer additional gaming machines. We will also be bringing forward to this year the review of stakes and prizes on lower categories of gaming machines. We are determined to do everything we can for a healthy industry and to make our seaside results even more successful in the years to come. Gordon Banks. Mr Speaker, 24 hours ago a young constituent of mine who suffers from cystic fibrosis uh, had a, a life-saving double lung transplant. In the year celebrating the 60th anniversary of the NHS, I can think of no better tribute to the NHS or the donor family than saving a life. When will my right honourable friend be able to come back to the House to report on the work being done by the Organ Donation Task Force looking forward towards an opt-out system? I'm grateful to, to, to my friend and any life saved as a result of the willingness of uh, a family or someone who is themselves losing their life is, uh, is something that we should both welcome and, and celebrate for what has been achieved for, for a young life. Uh, cystic fibrosis, as he knows, is one of the most difficult uh, diseases and uh, work is now being done for a cure for that. He is absolutely right. We have proposals to change the system for organ donors. I believe there is a general welcome in the country for taking further action. At the moment, only about 25% of the country are carrying donor cards, but when you do a survey, 90% believe that they would be prepared to make their organs available. So we want to find a way to a better system. There are legal implications in all the proposals. We will come back to the House soon, but all of us, I believe, will want to do more to save lives in this country. How would the Prime Minister characterise his first year in office? Casino Royale or Temple of Doom? I've learned in the first year that every day difficult decisions have got to be made. Education to 18, the lowest waiting lists in history, neighbourhood policing, more people in work than ever before. I'm proud of our achievements. Yeah. The Guardian. 